0: You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. So, I'm not a native Texan. I moved here in 2011 to go to graduate school at Texas M. Whoop. And uh, there's like four of us here, man. Uh, which is weird, but it's Montrose, so there you go. I, uh, I moved from North Carolina. And because I didn't know anything about beautiful College Station, I simply went online and uh, Googled apartments, College Station, and I found a bunch, and I decided on the cheapest one, which is $400 a month. Um, it's the It was the kind of place where, like, your kitchen and bathroom and bedroom are all the same room. And... Uh, And since my dad is an Aggie, my parents said, well, we'll come down with you. We'll drive down the 20 hours to College Station. We'll help you move in. We'll help you get settled, and we'll hang out for the weekend. And I thought that was a good idea, so we did. And we drive 20 hours from North Carolina to College Station. Um, we We immediately go straight to the apartment complex after our trip. We grab the key from the front office, and we open the door to my new apartment. And my mom burst into tears. And the place is awful. It, it's truly awful. Um, it's amazingly small, but more more than that, the carpet is literally ripped up all around the walls, and and horribly stained, and it smells really bad. Now, I didn't have I didn't have high expectations for this apartment, right? It was four hundred dollars a month. I knew that um, even in a place where cost of living is cheap, like College Station, I knew that this wasn't gonna be the most posh, luxurious place. But I had assured my parents going down that it definitely wasn't gonna be bad, that it was that I'd seen the pictures and, uh, and it was going to be fine. And needless to say, my expectations were not met and my mother's certainly weren't met. And come to find out the previous tenant had a dog and they were in the process of changing the carpet, but they never completed that process. And so eventually when the carpet was replaced, it turned out to be okay. And I lived there for a whole year. But, but we've all experienced something like this, right? Like, unmet, like vastly underwhelming scenarios where our expectations are so unmet. The situation my mom, or the feeling my mom had when the door was opened. The feeling of excitement and expectation and something new and something wonderful. And then just being supremely let down. Last Sunday, we talked about Jesus entering into Jerusalem in triumph. It's called the triumphal entry. And again and again in the Gospel of Luke, we're shown that maybe the disciples' understanding of who Jesus was and what he was coming to do is off. Right? They thought Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to overthrow the, the Roman occupation of the people of Israel. And so the tension is building, right? They thought Jesus is coming to overthrow a government. But then on on Friday, on Good Friday, we remembered that, oh, that's not what happened, that Jesus was instead crucified, right? They were wrong. The disciples were very, very wrong. They thought, oh, no, this man who is coming to lead us as a new king and overthrow the Roman government in in occupation of Jerusalem, he, he is instead... Tortured, mocked, beaten, and then killed. And so here is where we find the two disciples with this kind of expectation unmet that are walking on a road from Jerusalem. They're going to a different town. It's kind of like they've, they've thrown in the towel. They're, they're leaving Jerusalem. Nothing has happened like they expected. And so let's read. Again, starting in verse 13, the very day, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about all the things that had just happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself draws near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing them, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers instead delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And they say, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. So here these disciples, they're walking on this road, and I I want us to, at least for the next few minutes, put ourselves in their shoes. They're talking about everything that just happened. Can you believe everything that just happened, How how they had followed Jesus for presumably a few years or at least months, and they expected him? to come into Jerusalem as king. They expected that Jesus would have a kingdom here on earth established in Jerusalem, and though everyone who opposed him, mocked him, would be proven wrong. But instead of all of that, Jesus is killed. And then this stranger to them draws near on the road and asks them what they're talking about, and they can't believe he doesn't already know. I mean, the crucifixion was a monumental event, not only for the followers of Jesus, but for all of Jerusalem and really all of the region. And needless to say, they're they're taken aback. It says in the text, they literally stop walking, and then they look uh, utterly sad. Right, It's, it's the modern day, have you been living under a rock? On September 12th, 2001 you would have been hard-pressed to find somebody who hadn't heard of the events of September 11th, who hadn't heard about the World Trade Center attack. And regionally, this was of similar impact. You didn't hear about the crucifixion that happened in Jerusalem? So the disciples are taken aback, but then they, they do jump into the narrative. Well, there was this, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, and he was mighty in word in the things he said. And more than that, he was mighty indeed in the things he did. And he was mighty in front of all people. And he was mighty before God. And we had hoped in something. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. But instead, it's the third day since that happened. And we have been proven wrong. Our expectations are unmet. These men were were followers of Jesus in his life right they had immense expectations for entering Jerusalem as followers of him they had seen the miracles and they had heard the teachings and they were probably in the crowd worshiping him as he enters Jerusalem calling him king everything had been building and building and building and then what sorrow sets in he died the kingdom of Jesus isn't established, and Israel still needs redemption from Roman rule. And I think this, this speaks to us, because these, these guys are humans, and there's something deep in our bones that desires redemption. That's why stories of redemption are so powerful to us. It's why millions of, pro- of people across the nation teared up when Tiger Woods won the Masters last Sunday. It's why billions of dollars have been donated in rebuilding the Notre Dame, right? We hate the fall, but we love the comeback. All of humanity shares a deep, deep desire to hear a redemption story. And when we fall ourselves, we have a deep, deep desire to be redeemed ourselves. We all hope for it. And so let's continue the narrative. Then they say this to this mysterious traveler. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. So the men say are starting to say this. We, You know, it's been... Th- It's the third day since since the crucifixion happened, and yet we're hearing of something else we don't understand, that some faithful women who were followers of Jesus with us, they went to His grave to honor Him, to honor His body, but they find an empty tomb with with a stone rolled back. And then they say something miraculous and magnificent happens, that an angel appears to them. And we know from the previous section that the angel says to them, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. And these faithful women go and tell the other disciples about what's going on, and word again spreads. We have a seemingly defeated and dead Jesus, and yet angels are appearing. Whispers among the disciples begin, could it be? Could he really be alive? Could it all be true? We hope it would be. Will everything bad, all the horrific, terrible things that have happened over the last three days, will all of that be undone? As the men are talking about all they had seen and heard and sharing all of their thoughts on the matter with each other, this mysterious man who didn't know anything about Jesus' death just a few moments before, enters the conversation again with this. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. And I don't think Jesus is angry here. In his statement of, oh, foolish ones, I think, he's, I think he's gracious and I think he's tender. I think the tone of this is, don't you see? Don't you get it? And he doesn't leave them with that indictment. He says, let me show you, beginning with Moses and beginning with the prophets, who I am. He interprets to them all the scriptures and how they point to Jesus. And we know this road to Emmaus is seven miles so they had quite a bit of time at the pace they were going with Jesus on the road at this pace. And they're, we've already seen that they're stopping at some points in awe of what he said or what he, who, he's, who he is. And so Jesus tenderly shows them who he is. And at Sojourn, something we value is to, is to preach sermons from the whole Bible because all of scriptures, all of the Bible points to Jesus I'm not saying we will twist every verse in the Old Testament to be about Him, but when we look at the stories and the songs and the laments and the poetry and the prayers, that all of these things ultimately point to Him. Our goal is to show God for who He is as the divine author of the Bible. And the whole narrative reaches its climax in this one person, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, Who lived and preached and did mighty things in word and in deed. And he was crucified and buried. And three days later, he rises and appears. And then he ascends to the throne. And for a second, I want us to go back to some of those ancient words and put ourselves in the shoes of these men, listening to this traveler interpret them and showing them and now showing us how these words pointed to him. And let's dream that we're hearing from Jesus himself because when we open the scripture and read it, we are. This is Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. peace, and by His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and yet the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet his, He opened His mouth not, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so He opened His mouth not. I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors, for us. And so our, our passage this morning in Luke says that as they heard some of these words and many more, their hearts burned. Their hearts, their very souls burned as this man who they didn't know gave them hope that maybe the Savior had risen. Hope that maybe he had borne their sin. That maybe the women found an empty tomb because that is what God had been promising for thousands and thousands of years. Their hearts burned because their eyes are opening and the dots are being connected and really, what, what they're un, uh, discovering right now here is so much better than what they had originally expected. They couldn't even fathom it. They thought that Jesus would come and redeem Israel, the nation of Israel, and in Jerusalem there would be a king. But he died, sinless, perfect, having done no wrong, he was crucified and buried, and their expectations were left Shattered but only because they didn't understand. Only because their expectations were far too small. See, when Jesus rises from the tomb and the angels proclaim that he is risen, the disciples are, are starting to learn something. They're learning that without this resurrection, we're still in our sin. Because when Jesus rises from the dead, that means for us that the payment that Jesus paid was accepted by God. God was satisfied in the punishment that Jesus bore on our behalf, that there is no assurance that we are truly saved without Christ being raised from the dead. The Apostle Paul will go on to say, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, saying that we would still be marked by sin and death, and that is what Easter is all about. The season of Lent is somber. We reflect on our sin that That caused Jesus to die. But Easter is a celebration. We have confidence and assurance that because Jesus is alive, we have been redeemed. That we can be alive. That we too can be made new. That surely he has done it. This is the redemption story that all other redemption stories echo. And so, I think a lesson some of us can take away is, for some of us, myself included, we have expected too little of Jesus. Some of us believe in him, but, but really we believe in him or we're, we're following him right now because we hope that he would free us from maybe a certain sin. Or provide for us a certain job or quality of life or heal a certain wound or mend a certain relationship. And look, if you're expecting something like that out of Jesus, your expectations might feel unmet. But not because he doesn't have the power to meet them. Instead, because he is going to provide far more than you could ever hope or dream. See, the disciples expected him to redeem the nation, the small nation of Israel from the Roman occupation. And they expected him to rule in Jerusalem, but instead... Jesus through his death and now his resurrection makes the path for the redemption of not just small Israel, but all nations. And he rules not just in Jerusalem, but from the throne in heaven over the universe. Are you expecting him to do something smaller than that? When the disciples get to Emmaus, They invite the man who we know to be Jesus in with them. And at the table, they invite him to eat with them. And this is what happens. When he's at the table with them, he takes the bread and blesses it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes are opened. They recognize him and he vanishes from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn while he was talking to us on the road when he opened the scripture? Over a meal at a table, Jesus breaks bread. He blesses it. And he gave it to them just like he does for the disciples a few days before he dies. And their eyes are finally fully open to the identity of this man. The man who interpreted the scriptures for them on the road for hours was Jesus himself. And in the act of feasting on the bread which is his body, they are transformed from unbelievers in despair to believers with hope fulfilled. And their shattered expectations change to well-exceeded. In the meal, Jesus' broken body reveals for them and us who he truly is, the prophet of hope, the priest predicted to come, and the king who has shattered expectations. So if you're like me and you're realizing that maybe your expectations of Jesus are a little small, maybe they're unmet, we need to remember that our God is in the business of exceeding our expectations. So are are you maybe expecting community, and maybe you felt let down by an imperfect community? But in believing in Jesus, you're going to be delivered into an everlasting community of brothers and sisters in fellowship forever? Are you expecting freedom from a specific sin and continuing to struggle and fall week after week after week? Well, we can hope in a full redemption, a future where you certainly will sin no more because you're going to be raised in a new life, in a new physical body, in honor and righteousness. We could go on and on and on, but the point is this. Our expectations will be far exceeded by the king who currently reigns when the king returns. The resurrection gives us hope, just like it gave the disciples hope, that Jesus is not only reigning right now, although that is glorious, but also that he will return. And at his return, we will be raised, our tears will be wiped away by the hand of a savior and the crucified one who rose again in victory and power will embrace us with a meal. Maybe you're here this morning a little skeptical of all of this. But Jesus moves toward the skeptic and the unbeliever. right? If you feel a burn in your heart and soul, even a flicker of something that brought you in this room today, I want you to explore it. We'll have some folks down here, some uh, deacons and deaconesses and elders um, during communion that are going to be standing in the front. We'd love to invite you to come talk to them, to pray with them. And maybe you're a believer who needs prayer and encouragement. Come and receive it. Maybe you're a believer in a season of doubt, depression, or sadness. Come and be fed. We want you to know who Jesus is and what he has done, this man that the prophecies told us about. And we want you to feel the fire that we feel, the spirit of God that lives within us who might just be calling you right now. Don't shut it down. Explore it. This is the most important thing you'll ever do. I want us to all remember, believers or not, that Jesus moves toward the doubter on the road. He tenderly interprets himself. That's good news. That's a good reminder. After Jesus vanishes from before these men, the Scripture says they immediately left that house that very hour and make the seven-mile journey back to Jerusalem. And they find the other disciples, and they tell them about what happened to them, and they discover that they're not alone that the other disciples have heard and even seen Jesus. And it was this group of men and women who encountered and believed the resurrected Lord. And they began to tell more and more people over more and more time, so much so that today in Houston, over 2,000 years later, we're telling the same story. Many were ridiculed and many were killed so that we, that we might hear this. But because the Spirit of God gives life and freedom, these men and women did not fear death or arrest. They understood the power of the resurrection. And that's why the gospel is still proclaimed today. As we come to the table this morning, would we, would we celebrate and reflect on a Savior who came to us? He moved toward us He broke his body and shed his blood for us. And would you come and expect more from him? He has conquered sin and death, so will we appropriately expect from God what he will do? And will we be fed at the table this morning by Jesus himself and know and believe that he is living, breathing, With a new body as king of the universe. A real body and a real blood pumping, or heart pumping blood, and that he is coming back in that very body. Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you for the risen Savior that you are that shatters expectations, that changes the course of history, that redeems the fall by falling yourself. Lord, would we remember and worship and celebrate? Would we go to lunch with a song on our hearts? Would we celebrate with good food and good drink? As a foretaste of who you are and what you are coming back to do, will we celebrate now and show people that you have exceeded what we expected? Lord, we, I, I confess that often I expect too little of you. Lord, would you reorient my expectations? And remind me that I am expecting far too little as a son of God. As a co-heir in the kingdom. As one who eats and drinks with God. As one who God's spirit lives in. So if I'm feeling too small or too weak. That I would be reminded of the power of God in me surrounding me in the fellowship of believers? And would we, in response to that this morning, praise you, love you, open ourselves to you? Would we speak of you like the disciples run back to Jerusalem seven miles in the middle of the night to say what happened? And Lord, would we, when we're doubting, when we're When we're sad, when we're depressed, when we're frustrated, when we don't understand, when we remember and hear that you move toward the skeptic, you move toward the doubter, you move toward us in our sadness, and tenderly you show us who you are. Lord, we proclaim you are risen. We worship you. We love you. We bless you. And we're grateful. Would you bless us this week as we leave here renewed by your resurrection. In your name we pray. Amen.